This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. And gas appliances throughout Southern Humboldt, Northern Mendocino, and Trinity Counties. Locally owned and independent since 1938. And support for Redwood Community Radio comes in part from the Security Store. They're in the Meadows Business Park in Redway and feature watershed dry bags and pelican cases in many sizes. Both have lifetime warranties and have been tested over time in Humboldt County. The Security Store has solutions for all security needs and is open Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5. They can be reached at 923-2363. It is 7 o'clock. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD, KMUE, that's KMUD Garberville, KMUE Eureka Arcata, KLAI Laytonville, and on the web at kmud.org. We've got the Herb Doctors coming right up, and the Herb Doctor wants to tell us something. I can't imagine you'll forget the intro. The intro? The intro music? Oh yes, no, I have, I have, oh it's track five, <laughs> yeah, that's what exactly. you're saying. Alright, we got it's it. It's on my computer, so I don't know what track it is. No, won't. Don't, don't, don't let me disturb you. No, here, how about you, t- you like, give a little pitch for a second and I'll get it lined up and I'll get the doctor sure, on the sure. line and we'll jump right into it. Okay, well, as everyone knows, the, uh, well, maybe everyone doesn't know, but, uh, folks should know that the, uh, pledge drive's running through the next Friday. Uh, looks like the new total is, uh, $44,752. And the goal is 125,000. There's 19 new members, and the goal is to get another 100. Uh, and for many years now, probably eight or nine, uh, we've been here uh, doing this show. And uh, as so typical of uh, KMUD, the alternative and the uh, unconventional, if you like, is available. So uh, if you're not finding any solace in the normal, which I think most people who listen don't, uh, it's an excellent radio station to get the alternatives. And the alternative view is always something that people have to dig around for normally. So uh, listening to this show, you're going to get a wide variety of very alternative music, uh, discussions, etc., etc. So I uh, very much recommend people that are not members would uh, support KMUD Radio. I think they do a great job. They're a little island, if you like, or a beacon in the dark, just shining out all the stuff that they send out on the air to uh, people listening in the hills on their own. So it's a great station to uh, be connected to, and uh, I'm very uh, very privileged and I uh, feel very grateful to be able to do this once-a-month show, uh, Ask Your Herb Doctor. So um, just putting it out there for people that if they're not a member, if you've thought about it but you haven't actually made a decision... It's not a lot of money to keep this great radio station going that offers such a wide range of alternative uh, subjects and uh, keeps people connected to the local uh, community. So, And I just brought Dr. Pete on right now just because he's here. So thank you very much, Dr. <laughs> Pete, great. for joining our community. Hey, Dr. Pete. Hi. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, okay, well, it's a little impromptu, so we'll get going with the uh, with the show right now. Will we? Okay, I'm just going to do the introduction as usual, just in case there's people who've never heard the show before. And can you give a phone number, too, for people who might not know? Because I know of Dr. Course. Pete has a lot of people from throughout the oh, nation no, who I listen would never, in right yeah, now. Yeah, I would never give his phone number out. That's no, 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 not his phone <laughs> number. Oh, this number? Yeah, because there are people from throughout the nation who do tune in. We get That's more right. calls from more areas, so yep. we'd like to let those yep. people... I always give the number you know. out. Always give a number out. Okay, so, drive. so welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. Uh, my name's Andrew Murray, 
And for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the show, which runs every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m., uh, my wife and I are both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. And we run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicines and dietary advice. So thank you for listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. And from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, uh, you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's subject of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Uh, and if we get time, uh, there's a recent newsletter that Dr. Pete has just finished on cataracts, water, aging, and light, uh, and covering the uh, theme, the ongoing theme of anti-inflammation uh, from, uh, sub, uh, from things or, or compounds that would cause stress. So um, thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Pete. Mm-hmm. As usual, uh, if you wouldn't mind just giving people a resume uh, of your academic professional background, perhaps for those uh, new listeners who might have tuned into this show. Oh, I um, studied biology, University of Oregon, graduate school, 1968 to 72. Did my dissertation on reproductive aging and oxidative processes, uh, concentrating uh, on the effects of estrogen and progesterone largely, and trying, trying to explain uh, why an excess of estrogen resembles uh, the physiology of aging, stress, or x-ray poisoning. Uh, and uh, uh, that was uh, sort of um, a follow-up of my interests from the 1950s on uh, the effects of uh, low-level radiation on public health, and uh, that's been one of my continuing interests. Okay, um, so this month I uh, got a little bit of, um, yeah, a little bit of a uh, kind of um, spate of people contacting us about um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and uh, as your specialty was uh, hormones, reproductive, and thyroid. And I know this is a subject that's very uh, dear to your heart and something that you've spent many, many years uh, studying and researching. Um, in terms of the condition Hashimoto's thyroiditis, I know you have a very different and uh, kind of alternative view of it, and it's certainly scientifically based. But what, um, what, consti sorry, what constitutes uh, Hashimoto's disease in, in your mind and its characteristic lab findings and the symptoms and the treatment of it, and, and, and what do the temperature and pulses show? And we'll get into temperature and pulses in a bit more detail a bit later on, but what do you, what do you view Hashimoto's as? Um, a hundred years ago, Hashimoto described it as um, a, a, an enlargement of the thyroid gland caused by infiltration of white blood cells. And uh, some people actually uh, stick a needle into the gland and... Uh, diagnose on the basis of how he described it that long ago, but um, the, the, um, the general principle is that it's an enlarged gland that uh, doesn't produce enough hormone, uh, and so you can uh, make a guess uh, as to its uh, cause by looking at the blood if you see that uh, there seems to be a deficiency of the hormone in the blood and maybe some evidence of uh, inflammation uh, such as 
uh, proteins and antibodies to the proteins from the thyroid gland, uh, then they don't bother doing the uh, needle biopsy. So th- those two uh, particular tests are the only real thing that um, medical uh, doctors will be wanting to see as a uh, confirmation? Um, <clears throat> yeah, the, the, um, simultaneously, uh, a little before Hashimoto's uh, study, uh, people were uh, seeing various uh, reasons for the enlargement of the thyroid gland, uh, various poisonings or iodine deficiency uh, was recognized as the main cause of enlargement. And being in Japan, I suppose, uh, was why Hashimoto uh, saw the uh, peculiar inflammation of the thyroid uh, rather than uh, blaming it on an iodine deficiency because many people in Japan eat so much iodine that they get thyroiditis (laughs) from from blocking the functions of the gland, and uh, that uh, classically results in increasing the TSH to overcome the blockage by excess iodine, but exactly the same uh, TSH excess is produced by a deficiency of iodine. Uh, So what you see uh, typically is a rising TSH uh, driving the gland to work harder as the organism shows signs of decreasing thyroid function. Right. Okay, so um, in terms of the uh, antibodies, um, how does the uh, traditional medical diagnosis then uh, differ in in terms of the way that you would, because I understand that um, both the antibodies that are looked at, the antithyroglobulin antibody and the antithyroid peroxidase, uh, antibodies, which are generally uh, measured to give a diagnosis, that these are actually present in people that don't have um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So people can actually have raised levels of these antibodies and not be showing any symptoms at all, and, and, and conversely. And um, the um, identity of an antibody isn't really as clear as uh, a lot of people assume uh, they found that uh, there's a great cross-reaction between thyroid antibodies and joint antibodies. Okay. And uh, <laughs> that explains why people with uh, uh, thyroiditis and hypothyroidism so often have arthritis and joint problems. And uh, the whole issue of uh, explaining disease as uh, blaming it on the immune system uh, attacking the body um, if you uh, wrench your your knee and uh, uh, sort of uh, damage the cartilage, uh, they've done experiments in rabbits uh, taking a, a piece of foreign uh, cartilage, like from a cow, and uh, it, it will uh, produce very few antibodies in the in the rabbit. But if you twist it a little bit. Mm structurally damage it, then it produces a terrific immune reaction. And any organ that gets strained or overworked uh, tends to leak some of its uh, proteins, and uh, the the immune system's function largely is to clean up any mess. In fact, there there is an alternative interpretation of 
of what the immune system is doing rather than looking for foreign invading pathogens. Uh, this theory says it's primarily cleaning up messes caused by anything which is pathogenic. Right. Right. Uh, so um, in one of the um, so-called autoimmune brain conditions, uh, people have demonstrated that the presence of the antibody to the brain tissue uh, accelerates the recovery. Right. <laughs> so cleaning up the mess is, is really constructive. And uh, rather than always being the the cause of, of deterioration. Yeah, I've heard you. It's a little bit off um, off off base at the moment to mention this, but I just thought I need to bring it up because it's it has a relevance to what you're saying about antibodies not being a bad thing. Now, um, you've mentioned before that the, uh, for example, a condition uh, hepatitis C. Um, number one, it's questionable. Um, I know you've questioned the, even the existence of it um, as a virus in its own right, but you're, you say that the antibodies that are generally measured to show a degree of severity, the way the medical in, in, uh, industry looks at it, is actually uh, a bad way of looking at it because actually the antibodies to it are very important in mopping up the damage, if you like. Um, and actually yeah, yeah, that's uh, Duisburg's basic objection to the whole uh, AIDS, HIV theory, mm -hmm. but it, it applies to the hepatitis C uh, at least as much as, as to the HIV. Right, and that the initial insult perhaps to the liver, whether it be through PUFA or radiation or any other external stresses uh, in its own right, may uh, well... Uh, decades ago, the Egyptian government uh, had a campaign to uh, give a... a <laughs> very toxic drug to the whole population because of uh, a parasite that yep. they were eliminating. Mm -hmm. And uh, that poison causes liver damage. And uh, now a, a tremendous proportion, roughly half of the Egyptian population, I think it was, yep. uh, showed evidence of uh, hepatitis C. But I think it's just the... Uh, after effect of that poisoning. Right. Now, I, I remember you saying that, and exactly what you're, what you're talking about in terms of that. Okay. Um, well, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garbaville 91.1 FM. Um, from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Uh, I also got to say that generally we open the lines at 7.30, but it is the pledge, and at 7.30 the pledge is going to be pitching the drive at 7.30. So what I wanted to say was, in case people are anxious that they're not going to get enough time, uh, we can pretty much open the lines any time from now on. Uh, and take people because we will be coming in and out uh, making sure that people are aware that the pledge is running and that we're raising money for the studio to continue so hopefully people will call in and start pledging I'd just like to jump in because I forgot to read our underwriters who basically <laughs> pledge every day okay. Kama thanks Jessica Baker of Jade Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio practicing traditional Chinese medicine Jessica treats conditions ranging from psoriasis to post-traumatic stress located at 607 F Street in Arcata J-Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300 or online at jdragonacupuncture.com. And support for Cambridge comes from the Emerald Cup, presenting the 10th Annual Outdoor Medical Marijuana Competition and Exposition. It's on December 14th and 15th at the Sonoma County Fairgrounds. Music, speakers, panels, vendor exhibits, comedy, organic food, award ceremony, and the Cambridge booth are included. 
Musical performances are by Revolution, Jay Boog, and many more. Tickets at local outlets and online at theemeraldcup.com. More info at 707-984-9174. Okay, I should have also mentioned that the uh, phone number, if you live in the area here, is 923-3911, area code 707. Uh, Or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number we can be reached on here is 1-800-568-3723. So if people want to uh, join in now and ask questions about this subject or have any other questions they'd like to put to Dr. Pete or myself, uh, please feel free. So, Dr. Pete, I know you mentioned... um, the antibodies uh, not being that relevant and in some ways uh, not, not seemingly being a bad thing in other conditions. But so far as uh, Hashimoto's uh, and its treatment, you always look at it as the necessity uh, is to get the TSH down, the thyroid stimulating hormone down, which is normally quite elevated in Hashimoto's. Um, yeah, it's well established lately, last several years, that TSH itself causes many of the symptoms blamed on hypothyroidism. Uh, It acts on the bone marrow and many other tissues, the liver, uh, producing, uh, increasing the inflammatory uh, cytokine uh, chemicals. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so in itself, it's a basic problem of hypothyroidism, I think. Right, because you've always said that uh, TSH in its own right is a chaperone for other immune or inflammatory molecules, and so uh, in a in a normal healthy person, it's a, it's a good idea to try and get the TSH as close to zero as possible. Does, does it have any benefits? I mean, apart um, from stimulating the production or release of thyroid hormone. Um, my newsletter on osteoporosis a couple of years ago went over the arguments that. Uh, uh, they're using to uh, say that it prevents osteoporosis, <clears throat> but uh, I think the references that I give in there uh, show that basically it's just increasing the load of inflammation. <clears throat> okay, so in, in terms of the uh, standard medical treatment for Hashimoto's, I think it's probably uh, true enough to say that thyroxine is the main compound that they will give to a person to treat it. Yeah, if they give enough, uh, there have been some studies in which uh, the antibodies tend to disappear after about six months of keeping the TSH under control. Okay. So, uh, in your opinion, because I know we've seen quite a few people that have been previously uh, treated with thyroxine that were not getting a lot of symptom relief. I mean, in terms of in terms of the compound, what do you think of it? it its uh, efficacy or its uh, ability to do its do its job? Um, it, it in itself, um, in almost every situation, will suppress the TSH. Okay. Uh, even though T3 can do it, and sometimes uh, maybe two or three percent of the people need T3 to work on the pituitary to suppress the TSH. But uh, women in particular have five or ten times as much thyroid disease as men. And the reason is that estrogen interferes with the liver's ability to convert thyroxine to the active T3 Mm -hmm. hormone. Mm -hmm. And uh, if your uh, liver isn't producing uh, some T3, your gland, which produces a ratio of about uh, three parts of thyroxine to one part of the active hormone. If you 
give that person big doses of thyroxin, you're going to turn off that little bit of active hormone coming out of their thyroid gland when you suppress the TSH. Uh, and uh, they'll go into an increasingly hypothyroid uh, state. And that has caused a lot of doctors to uh, think of people being simultaneously hypothyroid and hyperthyroid, which doesn't make sense unless you uh, see that they're uh, interfering with uh, the, the liver's ability to activate the hormone. And uh, some people have argued that uh, one of the needs for TSH is to induce the local enzymes in the various tissues, such as the liver, uh, which do the conversion. Uh, but there have been several studies showing that uh, you don't absolutely don't need the TSH to do that activation of the uh, deiodinase enzymes in the various tissues that um, other uh, signals from uh, other glands uh, will maintain the uh, activating enzymes. Okay, so in terms of someone presenting with um, Hashimoto's, um, you're saying that it is reasonable to assume that thyroxine in its own right would be the treatment of choice. Um, well, yeah, especially in men, but since women are the main people who have uh, right. yes, have Hashimoto's, um, uh, it's um, very likely to bring on symptoms. It's very reasonable to try it, but as soon as they start getting symptoms of worse hypothyroidism, then uh, it's time to uh, give them the complete thyroid hormone. Right. Okay, and that's like you said, it's because of the estrogen. I know your most recent newsletter, the Cataract uh, newsletter, um, has a lot to deal with estrogen being a pro-inflammatory, stress-mediating chemical that um, uh, attenuates the effects of other things in the body. Um, it, yeah, the, the um, industry is um, periodically <coughs> uh, creating new myths about estrogen, mm -hmm. and one of the things they're currently pushing. Uh, for several years ago, they went through a wave of claiming that estrogen was um, an antioxidant, and uh, even though it's primarily a, an oxygen-wasting uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, pro-oxidative uh, mediator, uh, now they're uh, pushing the idea that estrogen is anti-inflammatory. Um, we do, we do actually have a caller on the air, Dr. Pete, so perhaps we should take this. I'm sorry to cut in there, but uh, there's a caller, so let's see if um, we can get this next one on air. Hi, you're on air. And um, where are you calling uh, from? Hi, I'm calling from New Jersey. Okay, you're on the air, so go ahead. Hi there. Um, I just read the Broda Barnes book, and uh, Hypothyroidism, the Unsuspected Illness. My entire medical history is in that book, so I'm very... <laughs> you know, grateful to that you, you know, provided that information. Um, I am having a little bit of trouble. I know how to follow instructions. He suggests that we put the thermometer under our arm for 10 minutes before we get out of bed in the morning. In other words, it's a resting temperature. Um, and I, I did that. I averaged over an 18-day period 96.4. But that's not what I'm, uh, my, my goal in telling you this. 
I started to get creative after I did that, and maybe that's my mistake. I don't know. I started to put the thermometer under my arm again for 10 minute, uh, you know, subsequent 10 minute increments, and I found that it was my temperature was continuing, the mercury was continuing to rise. Now, even though you know, like 97, for example, is still low, but um, it's it's higher than 96.4, or sometimes it's 95.8 or something. Um, I guess what I'm wondering is, I really want to find a way of ga- accurately gauging um, my temperature and hopefully thereby my, you know, m- metabolic rate, um, so that I don't, when I start to treat myself, slip over into Graves' disease. Uh, is this? Have I have I just, uh, you know, wasted time? Should I just revert to uh, Dr. Barnes's, uh, you know, um, temperature test and go back to the 10 minutes? Or should I experiment with this a little bit, if you were me? Dr. P. No, it would be good if you could do it for half an hour or whatever it takes to um, uh, stabilize. But the trouble is that hypothyroid people have uh, low tissue metabolism, and uh, that often goes with uh, high adrenaline, which cuts off circulation to your skin, fingers, toes, keeps the circulation going primarily to your brain, heart, lungs. Um, and so um, especially if, if you are overweight, uh, the uh, skin and subcutaneous fat can take a couple of hours to, to reach core temperature if you're bundled, uh, uh, thoroughly insulated. Um, so uh, it's good to check your eardrum temperature, mouth temperature, as well as your uh, uh, armpit temperature while uh, noticing the temperature of your fingers and toes and tip of your nose. Uh, do- Are there, uh, is there a significant difference in a basal temperature thermometer? I mean, they have these uh, uh, separate thermometers called basal thermometers. Is, what is that? Uh, they're just uh, marked off so you can read them more easily and tense, but I don't think the small differences are that important for for the thyroid uh, guesswork. Um, if you uh, notice that your oral temperature is at all low um, and your uh, fingers and toes are colder than other people's, uh, that's a good sign that your metabolic rate is low. And if you consider the amount of calories you need uh, per day compared to other people, uh, that's a good indication of your thyroid metabolic rate. And that the amount of water that you evaporate is a very good indicator. Uh, a person should uh, take in two quarts more fluid uh, than they lose per day in urine. Uh, that two quarts uh, would be a, an average evaporation uh, if your thyroid is good. But many people... Uh, evaporate less than a quarter day, meaning that... <laughs> We're waterlogged. <laughs> um, it, yeah, and uh, th- instead of uh, being evaporated, uh, the low thyroid person tends to uh, retain water. Uh, and uh, uh, there are so many indications other than temperature. Uh, uh, I first started uh, applying Barnes's technique, one hot, humid summer in Eugene when it was uh, about 95 degrees 
and even people who could hardly move, they were so hypothyroid, uh, were very close to normal temperature. And I realized that uh, a squash sitting on the counter would show show a normal metabolic rate if you went just by temperature. <laughs> and uh, so checking your pulse rate and the temperature of your fingers and toes in a cool room, um, those are more sensitive indicators. And so if I'm, I, I remember I remember you writing that if um, if people use an electric blanket at night, you place less value on the basal temperature. Am I am I remembering correctly? Um, yeah, same thing as uh, in a hot, humid climate. If you keep the temperature up artificially, uh, even a dead person will be warm. Oh, well, this is actually bad news for me because I'm in a heated room when I'm doing this, so it means my temperature may be even lower. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I think what you're saying is it's more, perhaps more of an art than a science in some respects, it's just because getting the absolute, an absolute gauge on, on this is going to be very difficult because there are so many variables. Am I, am I approximating what you're saying? Exactly. Uh, it's, it's the whole function um, if the the best single test would be how much oxygen you breathe in and how much carbon dioxide you exhale uh, that's actually showing what's going on chemically and you can't produce uh, a normal amount of carbon dioxide by uh, being overstressed or or high in estrogen uh, uh, other things will happen uh, other than producing carbon dioxide as you burn your fuel. So uh, the old-fashioned 1930s uh, basal metabolic rate by breathing oxygen and blowing out carbon dioxide, that was the real thyroid test. And the temperature is just the uh, uh, very rough uh, approximation of how much fuel you're burning. Uh, the pulse rate... Where can I go to read more about what you just said? I think my or, website. And is that something I can do at home? Oh yeah, my website has several articles about it, and uh, something else you have to do is notice the changes during the day, because uh, low thyroid people uh, typically compensate with stress hormones increasing. Uh, sometimes, mainly adrenaline. Sometimes, uh, mostly cortisol. Uh, others, including serotonin, uh, will increase, especially at night. Uh, histamine often increases at night. And uh, the, all of the stress hormones make your tissue uh, metabolize, but not in a, an energy-producing way, but an energy-wasting way. And uh, if you uh, take an overdose of cortisol and uh, adrenaline, uh, the adrenaline will make your skin get cold. The cortisol will make you break down your muscle tissue and uh, glandular tissue uh, to turn to sugar. And that will heat your body up. And some people wake up with a 98 or 99 degree temperature. But then when they eat breakfast uh, by 10 or 11 in the morning, their temperature might have fallen to 94 or 95 degrees. Uh, this explains a great deal for me personally, so I thank you very, very much. I don't want to take up any more of your time, but that's been very helpful. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for your call. You, we are, you we are, be well. We are actually going to get into the uh, whole subject of temperature and pulse measurements and uh, what the differences mean. But it is it is 7:31. I know the engineer is sitting there and he's was he going to pitch or was he going to? Uh, I thought that the producer was going to pitch, oh, okay. but I'll, I'll do well, a little pitch. I'll actually say fine. that thank you, Dr. <laughs> Pete, because you really do have a nationwide audience. I hear people calling in from all over, and I would like to put a word out to those people from all over that this is an unusual community radio station, and even if you live in Jersey or Missouri or wherever, mm-hmm. you may well want to join KMUD, and you might want to check out some of our other talk shows because they are all a little different from the mainstream. Yeah, sure, that's why we have them. We have we have a picture here in the studio, folks. So yeah. let's go ahead. Yeah, is this yeah. live? Can you hear me? There we go. Ooh. Now you can. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is Mark. Sounds in the sewer. Uh, just want to let everybody out there know that we have some premiums. Uh, available for new members, a glass K-Mud coffee mug. We've got, uh, for renewing members, a 25-year anniversary T-shirt. And uh, we got a couple of nice radios, the yeah. Sea Crane radio. I was going to actually, the Sea Crane radio used to be called the Zombie Apocalypse radio, but maybe all the zombies <laughs> actually have deficient thyroid function. That could be. It's the deficient thyroid function apocalypse radio from right. now on in my book. And, and it's a great radio. It's got the solar power. You can power a cell phone off of that thing. That's for a $120 pledge. And we also have an HD radio for a $150 pledge. And as most people know, or maybe some people, or maybe everybody knows that KMUD does broadcast in HD now. And uh, it's, it sounds awesome. And um, that's, again, for a $150 pledge. Uh, and, you know, call in and make your pledges. As you know, we can't really function too well without them. Um, and we certainly do appreciate your uh, listenership and your support. So make sure you call in, folks. The number is 923 923- Da, 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 da. 3911. <laughs> okay, or 1-800-568-3723. Yeah. Came at rad. So the phone call needn't cost you a red cent. <laughs> yeah. I want to thank a couple of people here. Uh, Leah LaMatina uh, out of Trinidad came in and uh, donated uh, $50. Actually, she renewed her membership. Uh, we also had... What's that? Oh, okay. Well... We also had West Botanical Medicine pledging. You weren't supposed to say anything. <laughs> oh. That's okay. Didn't they mark on there? Anyway. Anyway, never anyway. mind that. I, I was kidding, of course. Well, well, we're, very happy. we're very happy to support our own radio station, folks. Okay. <laughs> Good. Well, I'll turn it back over to you, gents. All right. Okay. Thanks so much for that. Dr. P, um, okay, so that last caller, that was completely out of the blue, completely, completely impromptu. Um, so happy they called, and especially from New Jersey. Talking about temperature and pulses is actually one of the next questions that I had down to ask you during this uh, next, uh, next 25 minutes. Um, the interpretation of a temperature and pulse chart be, being the, the questions that I have, uh, I understand what you're saying about the metabolic rate, uh, peripheral temperatures, sweating, and CO2 versus O2 uh, as being better indicators. In terms of what's practical for people to do at home, I think the temperature and pulse sheet is the thing that people can get their hands on to see for themselves whether or not they're reaching uh, proper temperature or if they are cold or if the temperatures are dropping. So can I just go through a couple of the things that commonly show up in people's temperature and pulse charts and just get you to... um, describe the basic metabolic defect if okay. you like so 
if someone has, and I don't see this too often, but a high starting temperature in the morning when they're in bed before they get out of bed, and then they have the breakfast and the temperature falls. Um, the first time I started uh, noticing that was a, a friend who uh, twice a year <clears throat> alternated episodes of extreme depression and mania. And uh, uh, on the uh, in the periods when she was... Uh, giving up sleep, sleeping only two or three hours a night, her morning temperatures uh, were extremely high. But then uh, after uh, eating something uh, two or three hours later, they would fall several degrees. And that was uh, during the time when she tended to be manic and uh, uh, be under the influence of too much adrenaline and other excitatory things. And uh, so I uh, suggested that she take enough thyroid to uh, get her uh, pulse and temperature uh, to be steadier during the day. And uh, uh, within a few days, uh, she had stabilized so that her morning temperature was a couple of degrees lower, but uh, increased after eating instead of decreasing. And since doing that, uh, she stopped having her annual up and down cycles okay so uh, just on a recap of what what you said a little while ago about cold peripheries so fingers toes nose ears uh, if they that this kind of person that we, you, you just mentioned would have cold extremities because that would be adrenaline would be driving that as a vasoconstrictor but yet their core temperature would be high because of cortisol and the stress hormones um, in general, and you have to check your pulse rate at the same time because if your cortisol is extremely high and destroying things at a terrific rate, mm. then you're making enough heat to keep your hands and feet warm even. Okay. Uh, but in that situation, your uh, adrenaline is going to be lower to let out the heat through your skin. And, and so if you have a very high temperature and the normal pulse rate, uh, and then uh, the uh, temperature falls after you eat, your pulse rate is probably going to get slower still. Uh, okay, so for a, for a low starting temperature in the morning, so someone's in bed, they're taking their temperature and their pulses before they wake and start moving around and generating heat. If they have a low starting temperature, and that falls after breakfast. Oh, uh, <laughs> that, that's still... Uh, stress plus hypothyroidism. Okay. All right. And then how about um, if they have a low starting temperature and it doesn't change after breakfast, it stays the same? Um, uh, they probably didn't eat the right things. <laughs> okay. um, uh, if you uh, get enough um, sugar in and protein and, and the essential catalytic nutrients, uh, uh, B vitamins and such, uh, then... If you have any function of your uh, thyroid gland at all, you're going to feed your liver enough that it, it should, uh, just by feeding it sugar, uh, it should start producing a little bit of T3, which uh, would warm you. Okay. So how about the pulses then? If someone's uh, taking their pulse in, in bed in the morning uh, along with the temperature and they have a low pulse, and then that pulse rises after breakfast? Um, 
that probably means that their um, T3 is going up from from eating uh, some carbohydrate and uh, increasing uh, their their general energy, so their their blood is circulating more, yeah. and and that's uh, that's something that uh, I've seen most often in in women uh, when they're premenstrual and and uh, having high estrogen blocking their thyroid, they'll get very cold when they get hungry, and uh, everything will slow down, uh, and then when they eat, they'll warm up and the pulse will increase. Okay. Now, how about if somebody, again, this is breakfast time and the person's in bed before they wake, before they move around, if they have a high pulse and then this rises after breakfast? Oh, uh, uh, sometimes that happens when they eat eggs without enough carbohydrate. Um, if you're uh, already tending to have hypoglycemia, uh, eating eggs will stimulate insulin secretion Mm-hmm. drop your blood sugar more and cause a surge of adrenaline and uh, it, it depends on how you feel if, if you're really increasing your your thyroid and warming up your metabolism up uh, you'll feel good when the pulse goes up but if you feel uh, like you're about to faint or, or go into shock right. uh, that happens from eating too much protein without carbohydrate right. and that and, adrenaline uh, makes you shaky then it's... yeah and um, uh, some people wake up uh, cyclically during the night. Uh, when, I, when I was counseling uh, dieters, uh, there were some very fat people uh, who uh, would wake up. One of them woke up every hour during the night, uh, and uh, the other one, uh, I think, was sleeping an hour and a half or so. And uh, I got them to set an alarm clock to wake themselves up uh, about five or ten minutes before their expected waking and to uh, eat anything with carbohydrate, milk or juice or even a cracker or something, mm-hmm. and to do that every hour. And within a week, they were sleeping through the night, and then they were able to start losing weight. Um, those stress hormones that raise your temperature and pulse rate around dawn, uh, they are also uh, increasing the the blood sugar. So in diabetics, they call it the dawn phenomenon. But it's the the result of the stress hormones that rise during the night. Uh, The darkness itself is causing stress, activating uh, hormones. And uh, so in the winter, people are more likely to have uh, disturbed sleep uh, because of long nights and uh, getting uh, extra carbohydrate late in the day uh, can help you uh, sleep longer without those episodes of uh, usually it's it's uh, nightmares waking people up with a pounding heart right that's the adrenaline right yeah Okay, I got one, one, one other quick question, and then uh, there is a caller. So the last example would be perhaps a high pulse that falls after breakfast. Uh, uh, that's good. Uh, that's uh, the carbohydrate lowering the um, adrenaline. And uh, when the temperature goes up and your pulse goes down, uh, that's what breakfast should do. 
Okay. Let's take this next caller. You're on the air? Hi, very great show. And before I ask my question, um, I'd just like to say to the audience, if you like KMUD, call 707-923-3911 or 1-800-KMUD-RAD. And to decode KMUD-RAD, look at your dial, and the decoder ring is right there under first. Um, I always appreciate what you do, and uh, this show is one of my favorites. My question, Dr. Pete, and if it's a little too far off base, and maybe it's even another program, is about the approaching Fukushima uh, radiation plume. I heard Dr. Helen Caldicott discussing recently on Coast to Coast AM the coming plumes in Alaska around March and possibly the Pacific Northwest around uh, July, June, July, and then further down the coast uh, subsequent to that, so maybe late summer, early fall. Of next year, um, I, I'm sorry. Of, of this, uh, this coming by yet would actually be next year at this point. Um, so it could be as much as up to a year from now, but maybe less. And my question goes to: What are the effects of radiation? Since you mentioned that special interest at the beginning of the program, along the lines of how to, uh, the disease you mentioned earlier, or what it how it manifests? Does it mimic that? Um, Japanese disease that starts with an H, or does it come in other ways? And uh, seaweed, what should we do to, to prevent it as far as iodinization of the thyroid? I'll leave it there and listen to your response on air. And again, thank you so much. 1 800 Kenneth Red or 923 in the 707 area code. Please donate to the station. Keep this great show going. Okay, thank you for that. I do want to say that as I, I, me personally hearing it, quite a bit that sounded garbled, but I did, I did hear the uh, very first part of it was uh, the concern with the radiation, uh, oceanic radiation coming this way to the coast uh, between the middle to the end of the next year. Dr. Pete, did you hear what um, that caller was saying? Uh, part of it was blurred, but yeah. basically, uh, <coughs> you're wondering what to do for right. radiation exposure. Right. I think so, yeah, basically. Um, yeah, uh, my uh, first newsletter 30-some uh, years ago uh, was on uh, radiation defense, and uh, I read everything that was uh, available at that time uh, regarding uh, protecting against radiation and repairing the damage. And uh, the um, research since then has pretty much uh, confirmed what was available then, that uh, keeping your metabolic rate up uh, accelerates the repair process uh, faster than the injury. And uh, progesterone uh, decreases the injury, thyroid uh, increases the rate of repair. And uh, all kinds of uh, stress uh, create uh, signals from the injured cells that travel through the rest of your body. And uh, so no matter if, if your face is x-rayed by a dentist, uh, your whole body, the gonads are going to be affected uh, by these substances emitted by the injured cells. Uh, so uh, you, in, the, in the 1950s, uh, Russian researchers uh, had noticed that uh, total body uh, irradiation 
had an estrogenic effect, would cause animals to go into estrus. And uh, that was uh, blamed generally on uh, causing the pituitary hormones to be activated, and people could do it just by irradiating the head. But uh, the, the Russian researchers radi- irradiated the animal's foot and produced the same whole-body estrogenic effect, uh, showing that uh, estrogen and radiation are, are producing these toxins that uh, communicate to all the cells of the body. And, and that's why uh, thyroid and progesterone uh, have a basic protective effect against radiation. Uh, but the, the whole nutritional support system, uh, magnesium is uh, the element that's most closely involved in repairing uh, radiation damage after your uh, thyroid is, is activated. Uh, the cells take up magnesium and enzymes are activated that do the repair process uh, when you have adequate magnesium uh, with your thyroid. And that would be from the, the green leafy broths that you uh, recommend? Yeah. So whether it's shard or kale, uh, dark green leafy broths, uh, pretty rich in, in magnesium. Okay, so Dr. Pete, um, I guess I guess we can just put it out there again quickly if any other callers are on the air. It's uh, KMUD-RAD is the toll-free number. 1-800-568-3723 or the, sole, the number if you live in the area is 923-3911 um, so my other questions that I, I wanted to put to you about the temperature and the pulses um, with reference to temperature and pulses are, are the morning changes reflective of a similar metabolism seen in the lunchtime temperature and pulses um, yeah if your temperature hasn't stabilized by 10 or 11 in the morning, uh, a low thyroid person will uh, uh, often, especially a, a woman with high estrogen and low progesterone, uh, the temperature and pulse rate uh, might both fall uh, before lunch or they might have an adrenaline attack and uh, have a, a shock sensation with a fast, weak pulse. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Uh, the effect of feeding, you can interpret it uh, the same for lunch or breakfast. Okay. So, and how about if um, how about if the temperature doesn't reach ninety-eight point six, or the pulse never gets over seventy in the mid-afternoon? What um, would you, how would you view that? Uh, well, people uh, have uh, their um, chronic adaptation and. Some people can stay very well at at those average numbers, but on average, uh, people have the, the greatest ability to resist stress and recuperate from injury if their temperature is uh, a little above average and their pulse rate is a little above average. Okay. Uh, so your health can be very good uh, for most of your life, but uh, you, you will have... Um, more resilience if your metabolic rate is higher. Okay, well that was my that was my last question. If the temperature is higher than ninety eight six in the afternoon and the pulse is over a hundred, uh, uh, the the brain and the immune system, for example, uh, the optimum temperature seems to be around one hundred and one 
maybe even a little higher. Yeah. And I, I've also mentioned you, uh, you, I've also remember you mentioning that the immune system is less than, if, if you want to say the immune system as an organism functioning at 100% being optimal, if your temperature doesn't reach 98.6, you are not running at 100% of your immune ability. Uh, probably. Yeah. Um, and uh, usually you can see some evidence in your blood tests uh, mm -hmm. that is unnecessarily high TSH or other pituitary hormones uh, indicating that you're, you're driving your endocrine system and immune system unnecessarily hard. Uh, when things are, are running very smoothly on the cellular level, uh, your endocrine system and immune system don't have to do very much. The, okay. the tissue cells take care of things all by themselves. <laughs> okay, well, we do have another caller, so I want to make sure this caller gets an opportunity to... You're on the air? Hello. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, love the show, which is um, it's interesting to me because I have a completely unrelated question, but my mother has thyroid issues and I have temperature issues, so I've been intently paying attention to your discussion. But, um, Can I just ask you Emma, where you're calling from? It's my first time listening to the show. Can I just ask you where you're calling from, incidentally? I'm sorry to butt in. I'm sorry? Can I just quickly ask you where you're calling from? Yeah, I'm calling from Redway. Oh, okay, just down the road. <laughs> Carry yeah. on. Carry on. Um, so I just recently, I, I've always been a, a really light sleeper, and I recently became hip to the idea that taking valerian tincture can improve one's ability to relax, fall asleep, and stay asleep through the night. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I grabbed myself a little bottle down at Chautauqua, and I've been taking it, and it's I've found that it's really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I, my, my brother, who also has had problems falling asleep and staying asleep, has been taking it with me, and we're we're really, you know, it's it's definitely improving yeah. our sleeping patterns. And I was just wondering if you know of any possibility of of um, developing a dependence on valerian, or if if it's counterindicated for any other medications, or if if you know anything about that being a problem in in practice uh no well I'll put it this way i know uh, valerian works on gaba channels and dr pete uh, will know exactly what i'm saying uh when i mention gaba channels but um here's the thing some people and it's rare but some people get very stimulated by valerian the majority of people do find a good benefit from it and it does shut off that internal dialogue that keeps people awake when they sit and talk to themselves um, and especially if people wake in the early hours but I know Dr. Pete's interpretation of any kind of insomnia would generally be down to uh, high adrenaline or higher than normal adrenaline keeping people from entering a, a, a deep restful sleep so Dr. Pete what do you, what do you think about uh, valerian working on GABA channels and uh, the, the, the mechanism behind insomnia well, the, that mechanism is very good. It's a very safe drug, but uh, I think that, that uh, using a drug of that sort, it's protective, but it is potentially uh, habit-forming. Right. And uh, besides my own experience when I took thyroid, being able to relax and, and sleep soundly, uh, on one of my uh, trips... Uh, talking to uh, uh, doctors and such, I ran into a, a doctor who <laughs> looked horrible, said he hadn't slept for three nights. And uh, I mentioned my experience with thyroid, and 
gave him 10 micrograms of Cytomel, and the next night at my talk, he uh, pulled me aside uh, before introducing me and said, that stuff's better than uh, morphine. <laughs> Dogs, Pete, I don't want to cut you short, but I just want to say that it is uh, very nearly four minutes to the top of the hour. Um, so I would, unfortunately, I'd want to cut you short here and just thank you very much for being on the radio show. And that will give me plenty of time to tell people how to find you uh, and um, more about you. So uh, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, Dr. Raymond Pete has a uh, pretty uh, extensive website with an exhaustive list of researched scientific-based articles fully referenced on many different uh, conditions, disorders, uh, and a lot of what he is uh, espousing is very alternative, but is very scientifically backed. So it's not um, it's not completely uh, made up at all. It's uh, it's science has been buried if you like and it's not really being listened to too much but a lot of what he has said has been vindicated very recently i just want to quickly mention the whole thing about vitamin d in england and the uh, british medical journal stating that the saturated fats were now no longer the bad guys and that the uh, polyunsaturates which is what dr peter's always said are actually the cause of inflammation and disease and they're having a complete rethink on the whole saturated fat thing uh, again with the vitamin d it's a very good, helpful, protective uh, molecule. And uh, so, yeah, Raymond Pete's uh, website is www.raypeat.com. Uh, go check him out. And uh, we can also be reached Monday through Friday uh, during normal business hours. And our toll-free number is, you know, I hardly ever use it, it's one 888 9264372. Uh, we can be reached for consultations anytime or for further information uh, during normal business hours. So, two or th two minutes or thereabouts before the top of the hours, KMUD is the station that you heard this on. It's a great alternative station. It's a beacon in the dark, folks. It's like a red light on a hill. And unless you want to just hear standard radio stations giving standard information out, um, help support this radio station folks because it means a lot and especially in this very tight-knit community i would all hope that the people here value it enough to put their hands in their pockets and give them some money uh, to make sure that we all keep going on into the next year anyway until december uh third friday of uh, december as always the third friday of every month uh have a great night i uh, enjoy this wonderful fall before we get the imminent brain and uh thanks so much for listening Support for Redwood Community Radio comes from the Emerald Cup. Each entry receives two weekend passes to the event and potency testing. Winner receives a trip to Skunk Magazine's cannabis-friendly resort in Jamaica. Top three prizes are hand-blown glass trophies by Darby Holmes. Entries can be dropped off at Area 101 in Laytonville, Grass in Garberville, or Humboldt County Collective in Eureka. More details, including tickets, are at theemeraldcup.com or 707-984-984. 9174. And came with thanks Jessica Baker of Jade Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio. Practicing traditional Chinese medicine, Jessica treats conditions ranging from psoriasis to post-traumatic stress. Located at 607 F Street, Arcata, Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300 or online at jadedragonacupuncture.com. It is 7.59, 50 degrees outside our Redway Studios. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 
KMUE Eureka, KLAI Laytonville, and on the web at kmud.org. And we have Mark. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Uh, great show, by the way. Very, very informative. And thank you for everybody calling in and participating. Uh, as you know, we are in a pledge drive. Um, you can call in your pledges at 923-3911 or 800-568-3723. Uh, Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive.